breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you. Today is Thursday, July 6, 2023, the Feast of St. Maria Goretti. Maria was born October 16, 1890 in Cornisaldo, Italy, near Ancona to Luigi Goretti and Assunta Carlini. In 1896, her father, a farmer, moved the family to Ferrari de Conco, near Anzio. Soon afterward, he died, and the family was forced to move to Serenili Farm to survive. On July 6, 1902, the 11-year-old Maria was stabbed to death by Alessandro Serenili, the son of her father's partner, while resisting his attempts to rape her. She was canonized in 1950 by Pius XII, and through her intercession, her murderer converted and became a penitent Franciscan brother. St. Maria Goretti, a remarkable saint, offers us a profound lesson on purity. Despite facing a brutal assault, she courageously sacrificed her life to protect her chastity. Today, we find ourselves in a world where immodesty and indecency are embraced, as by the introduction of scandalous clothing that they wear all the time, including bathing suits or swimwear, one might say. It's disheartening to witness the indifference of many Catholics who have gradually accepted the moral decay of societal norms. However, St. Maria Goretti's unwavering adherence to the church's teaching on purity serves as a powerful reminder. She exemplifies the Catholic ideal, uh, ideal of valuing purity above all else, even to the point of sacrificing her life. The preservation of purity is paramount for a harmonious social order and the stability of the family. So let us implore St. Maria Goretti to be our patron in the defense of purity and to guide us in persevering and preserving this virtue in our lives. And if we should stray from this path, we must turn to her for inspiration, seeking genuine contrition and repentance. In a world that disregards modesty, let us look to St. Maria Goretti as a shining example and strive to uphold the principles of purity in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. St. Maria Goretti, pray for us. Now, St. Maria Goretti is actually my older sister's patron. That was her confirmation saint. So a great affection for St. Maria Goretti in our household. And maybe that she could be a good, a, a good patron in your household. A good inspiration for any young lady, I would say. But happy Thursday to you. We are almost to the weekend. Can you believe it? It's uh, going by really fast. There's too many uh, too many things to do and not enough hours to get them all done in, is what I say. Uh, but joining us right now is Tito Edwards. Good morning to you, Tito. Good morning, Adrian. St. <clears throat> uh, Maria Goretti. What uh, a saint that we need for today in this time of wokeism and in this time of the lack of chastity and, and uh, decency that we have out there. She fought for her sanctity, for her virginity, for her virtue, physically fought, died for it, and forgave her attacker. And her attacker is, I think, uh, being considered uh, a blessed. So what an amazing story. If you don't know anything about her, uh, the little bit that you heard from Adrian, please go on the search engine and look her name up. Uh, it is a wonderful story, and there's a movie about her also. There you go. So check out St. Maria Goretti, go look her up, and go find out what you can about her. A wonderful, wonderful person to get to know. 
a wonderful saint to have devotion to, I would add. Now, uh, coming up in this hour, we're going to be talking about Pope Francis meeting Bill Clinton and Alex Soros, you know, the guy who's the uh, the son of George Soros, uh, famous for uh, all sorts of misdeeds. Also, we got some good news about the Knights of Columbus. They canceled the mass that was scheduled for a Masonic in the in the Masonic Auditorium. So that's good news. Praise be to God. It's always uh, good to to recognize the good. And also, we briefly talk about a arson that happened in Los Angeles that I somehow didn't even know happened. And I saw this headline and I was like, huh, that's interesting. So we'll talk about that as well at 15 past the hour. At 30 past the hour, the new Vatican appointment, a disaster. So uh, this this Archbishop uh, Fernandez, or or sorry, the, um, sorry, I just forgot his name. Fernandez is right. Yeah, that is right. That is correct. I, I got it right. Archbishop Fernandez is very concerning in terms of uh, a lot of the things that he said, a lot of things that he's done. Um, this man is a very, very concerning situation to make him in charge of all doctrine in the church. So we're going to be talking about that at 30 past the hour. In the next hour, we're going to be talking about traditional theology of the magisterium. Uh, Alan Smith is actually going to be in Peoria today uh, for there's uh, some things going down with Fulton Sheen. So he won't be joining us today. He'll be back on next week and we'll have to give him to uh, give us the update on what's going on with Fulton Sheen's canonization uh, coming up uh, next week. But for today, we're going to be talking about traditional theology of the magisterium, a very pertinent topic considering uh, what's going on in the Vatican today. And of course, in the next hour, we have our fear and trembling game show. And you could be a participant uh, by calling in. So make sure you are ready to to jump on the lines because we are giving away a free book. And so that's going to be given away today. So make sure, or not today, it's going to be given away tomorrow, but you have a chance to win today. So make sure you tune in in the next hour. So let's begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. We offer up these this prayer for the salvation of souls, the liberty, and exaltation of Holy Mother Church, for our friends, family, and benefactors, and all of those that we promise to pray for and for the end of the scourge of abortion throughout the world. O my God, I beg of thee, in union with the Immaculate Heart of Mary, through the merits of the precious blood offered to thee in every sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, to grant that this day one sinner may be converted, one mortal sin be averted, one soul in doubt be converted to truth, one soul about to die in sin receive the grace of repentance and a happy death, and the deliverance of that soul in purgatory which is nearest heaven. I wish by this offering to console the heart of Jesus in agony for souls lost throughout the teaching, through the teaching of error against the true church of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. May thy blood, O Lord, be my salvation. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headline news with Tito Edwards. Thank you, Adrian. Good morning. You are listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Today is Thursday, July 6th, Anno Domini 2023, and these are your headlines. As mentioned earlier, LifeSite News is reporting the Knights of Columbus in North Dakota and the Canadian province of Manitoba have canceled a mass that had been scheduled to be held in a Masonic Lodge. Catholic World News and Reuters are reporting two days after his reported release, Bishop Rolando Alvarez was again jailed after talks between the government and the bishop stalled, according to a local media report. Earlier this year, the bishop was sentenced to 26 years in prison for his public criticism of human rights abuses committed by the regime of Daniel Ortega, who ruled Nicaragua from 1979 to 1990 and then returned to power in 2007. 
Catholic World News and Catholic News Agency are reporting Pope Francis met with former U.S. President Bill Clinton in a private audience at the Casa Santa Marta Papal Residence on Wednesday. Clinton's delegation included several prominent Americans, including Alex Soros, the son of the uh, notorious uh, Soros himself of the Open Society Foundations. And finally... Catholic News Agency is reporting a fatal shooting Wednesday morning on the D.C. campus of the Catholic University of America is no threat to the university community and is under police investigation, the university said July 5th. Those were your headlines this morning. God bless you all. The Gospel of the Day comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. So he took ship across the sea and came to his own city. And now they brought before him a man who was palsied and bedridden. Whereupon Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the palsied man, Son, take courage, thy sins are forgiven. And at this some of the scribes said to themselves, He is talking blasphemously. Jesus read their minds and said, Why do you cherish wicked thoughts in your hearts? Tell me, which command is more lightly given? To say to a man, Thy sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise up and walk? And now to convince you that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins while he is on earth. Here he spoke to the palsied man, Rise up, take thy bed with thee, and go home. And he rose up and went back to his house, so that the multitudes were filled with awe at seeing it and praise God for giving such powers to men. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Cornelius Alapide had much to say on this topic today. He says, And behold, they brought to him. St. Mark says, The paralytic man was carried by four bearers. Learn from this that they care not only for thy own salvation, but for that of thy neighbors, and that earnestly as well, because charity demands it as because, because God often chastises the good as well as the bad, because the good neglect to chastise and amend the faults of the bad. Now, this is very interesting, don't you think? Because what is he saying here? He's saying, one, let's not care only for our own salvation, which implies what? It implies two things. The word only implies that you should be caring for your own salvation, and two, that we must care for our neighbor's salvation. That those around us, we must seek their salvation. What is their salvation? Is converting to the Catholic faith and adhering to the Catholic faith whole and entire. That is where salvation lies. Now, the second point he makes here is he says, so you may ask, okay, why must I do this? He says, because God often chastises the good as well as the bad. Why does God chastise the good as well as the bad? Because the good neglect to chastise and amend the faults of the bad. Remember, it is a spiritual work of mercy to admonish the sinner, to instruct the ignorant. These are spiritual works of mercy. So we are required by Almighty God to chastise and amend the faults of the bad. And someone might say, but didn't God say, thou shalt not judge? He says to judge rightly. He says, thou shalt not judge. But in the same context, he tells us, Let's take the plank out of our own eye and then take the speck out of our brother's eye. Not, oh, take the plank out of your eye and then never correct anybody ever and don't judge. He says, take the yeah. plank out of your eye and then 
take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, it goes on, it says, In seeing their faith, the faith of those who brought the paralytic to Christ. For when they were not able to bring him into the house to Christ, they carried him up upon the roof. The roofs of the house in Palestine are not steep as they are in Germany, but flat, more so than they are in Italy. They uncovered the roof, that is, they broke through it by taking away the tiles. So they laid bare the roof, and thus they let down the sick man by means of rope before Christ. All these things showed their great faith and devotion to Christ. Now, this is typically where people end. When people say, see, our Lord worked this miracle by the faith of his friends. But Cornelius Lapides goes on and says, there, there refers to those who brought him, as St. Ambrose and Jerome and Christendom say, though he says that you may add, as Christendom does, that the faith of the paralytic himself is included. For through this faith, he wished himself to be carried and let down through the roof before Christ. Neither would he have heard the words, thy sins are forgiven thee, unless he had faith. Moreover, this faith was the faith of miracles. Learn from him that the measure of prayer is faith and hope. For what thou hopest from Christ, thou shalt thou obtain of him. For that the, the more thou enlargest the lap of thy soul by hope, the more capacious thou makest it. Meaning, the bigger you make yourself, the more that you're willing to accept from God, the more now you are actually able to receive. Whereas if you close yourself off from God, God can pour out as much grace as he wants, and you will never be able to receive it because you're closed off. So no amount of grace will ever be received from you. So you must open yourself up by faith and hope. Now he goes on and says, Wherefore Christ said to this man, Son, be of good cheer. Trust that thou shalt be by me miraculously healed. First in thy soul from sin, then in thy body from palsy. And now I think this is very, very interesting, especially in our day when we have an unbelieving nation. He says here, For because of sin, God has afflicted thee with this disease. Observe this paralytic already had faith and hope in Christ, as I have just shown, but Christ bids him confirm and increase his faith. Moreover, by these words, be of good cheer that he should be outwardly and inwardly stirred up by the grace of God. And we have to recognize as well what Cornelius Lapide says later on in here, that many times our sicknesses, our unhealth is due to sin. Why? Because God wants us to repent. He wants us to call ourselves, to make us think of our death, so that way we may repent and be saved. So let's keep that in mind during our day. We'll be right back with more. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray for religious vocations. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed daily for vocations to the religious life? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, Religion can never depend on minute disputes about doctrine. G.K. Chesterton says that's like saying that life can never depend on minute disputes about medicine. Will the man who says we don't want theologians splitting hairs also say, we don't want surgeons splitting filaments more delicate than hairs? 
Many a man would be dead today if his doctors had not debated fine shades about doctoring. It's also a fact that Western civilization would be dead today if its doctors of divinity had not debated fine shades about doctrine. We depend on doctors of medicine. We can also depend on the doctors of the church. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. It is good to be on with you, despite the fact there are terrible things going on in the news. It's still good to be here. And we have some good news and some bad news to cover today. Uh, Tito, what would you like to hear first? Some good news or some bad news? I'm, I'm always the one to want the bad news first to finish off with the good news for the rest of the hour. So let's. what's the bad news? All right, well, let's start with the bad news then. The yeah. bad news is uh, Pope Francis hosted Bill Clinton yeah. and Foundation head Alex Soros at the uh, papal residence. Very, very concerning considering... Um, how was that meeting that he uh, had with uh, Cardinal Zinn? How did that go? Uh, you know what? Uh, still fi- trying to find out, but no. No meeting. Cardinal no Zinn. No meeting. Yep. No meeting with Cardinal Zinn. Stood out cold. Mm-hmm. Stood out in the cold. Was not welcomed into the papal household. Quite literally. Huh. Well, what about um, the the Dubia brothers? All the Dubia cardinals. Uh, how did when did they get an audience with Pope Francis? You know, Pope Francis is uh, one that wants to walk along with us, build bridges, and encounter. And uh, no, 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 no word, no, no response, official or unofficial. Oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah. So fascinating. He, he won't meet. With the good cardinals, but he's a busy man. He, I'm sure he doesn't take many guests at all. Not many, many audiences. No, we, um, we need to be charitable. Yeah, he, right. he is quite a busy uh-huh. pope. Mm-hmm. Well, but he made sure that he could find time, of course, for Bill Clinton and Alex Soros of the Open Society Foundation. That's very, very concerning. I think uh, this article by National Catholic Register lays out what happened here. He says Clinton, who now focuses his efforts on philanthropy and public affairs. And had visited Albania on July 3rd and 4th and received from the Albanian Prime Minister Public Gratitude Medal for his support of Albania and NATO's intervention in the Kosovo War and the new site of a Eurative Reports. I don't know what anything, <laughs> any of that has to do with um, Pope Francis. Or and then he goes, Soros, son of billionaire financer and fi- philanthropist George Soros, we very loosely define uh, philanthropists nowadays, accompanied Clinton in both Albania and at the Vatican. Soros is the new chairman of the Open Society Foundations, a philanthropic giant that his father founded. Again, we use philanthropy to mean a very wide breadth of things. Former President Bill Clinton was accompanied by a delegation that included his son-in-law, and many other people that it doesn't really matter here. The Pope presented Clinton with a statue of a woman holding a dove. The pontiff said it represents a work for peace. Clinton gave Pope Francis a little tray with the symbol of the United States on it. And now Clinton's uh, office told CNA the gift was a personalized porcelain tray bearing the presidential seal. The former president also wrote a personal note to the pontiff. Now the Holy See press office in a July 5th email described the gathering as a private audience. It provided photos, but no other information. Clinton thanked Pope Francis for all he has done for the church and the world. Now, it's interesting to me because, one, everybody at the, uh, for instance, Bree Dale, uh, Diane Montagna, all came out and they were saying, you know, it's weird. That wasn't on the schedule. Nobody knew that this was going to happen until 
all of a sudden it happened. Very, very concerning, especially since the Open Society Foundations is, is very involved in some sketchy things. And the Soros in general are involved in a lot of sketchy things, including abortion rights, quote unquote. I mean, I don't know if you can call it a right, but very much they support abortion. And Clinton being a very, very anti I mean, what what can Life, I even say? Yeah, everything, <laughs> everything, uh, pro LGBT, pro abortion, uh, pro divorce, uh, pro whatever happened in the White House uh, while he was president, pro spreading his love around. So uh, all sorts of things that are very very concerning. And Pope Francis has time to meet with him. And many people said, okay, well, oh, you can't blame Pope Francis for that. That's the job of the Pope to meet with foreign foreign dignitaries and former uh, former dignitaries and people who are who make a lot of money and people who are influencers around the world. That's his job. Well, again, well, who has he not met with? Why doesn't he meet with his cardinals, with his bishops that are good and holy bishops and cardinals to meet with them? And remember, whenever President Trump was president. And when he was running for office, uh, Pope Francis kind of came out with a couple digs against Donald Trump. And you may have a negative opinion of Donald Trump, but are you really going to say that Donald Trump is worse than Bill Clinton? I, I don't know about that. I'm sure he has his faults, but if we're going to compare these two, it seems like a very hypocritical thing to do. So that's a very, very concerning situation that we see, especially whenever... It seems to give an endorsement to these people, uh, which try to fight against very Catholic ideas. Uh, for example, the the which the Open Society Foundations, they are fighting and funding efforts to legalize abortion in what countries? Ireland, Poland, Mexico, and other traditionally Catholic countries. Hmm. So these traditionally Catholic countries are being influenced by George Soros and Alex Soros's foundation. These traditionally Catholic countries. And instead of having a public repudiation of these people, they get a private audience. They get a private audience with the Pope. Now, here's the other concerning thing about this. Now, many people are saying, well, you don't know. Pope Francis was, was probably chastising them and telling them, you got to stop doing that. They were given a statue of Our Lady of a, of a lady with a dove symbolizing peace, their works and efforts in peace. That seems like an endorsement to me. Yeah, that's here. You're a naughty boy. Here's a statue for your efforts. <laughs> yeah. And if that's the case, if he did chastise them, well, then he needs to make this public because this is a grave scandal. It's a grave scandal for it to seem as though that is everything is hunky dory because they even took a photo together where they all gather around the image of Our Lady Undoer of Knots with Pope Francis and they took a photo together. And so, what does this tell me? If I am just watching and I'm just looking and trying to see what's going on, it seems to me that this is an endorsement of them and not a repudiation of them. Very, very concerning situation. So that's the bad news. The good news is, the after the devastating arson in Los Angeles, the famed mission San Gabriel 
reopens for worship. So praise be to God. They reopened one of a, the historic uh, mission churches in Los Angeles. Uh, the concerning part of it was that I didn't know that there was an arson that happened in, in Los Angeles at that time. During, in 2020, July of 2020, a devastating arson fire was set. That's very concerning. I didn't even know that happened. I guess that kind of flew under the radar with all the uh, the rise of the COVID stuff happening that year. That we kind of just missed that. But that's very concerning. I'm glad everything is being put back together. But it is very concerning to see more and more arsons happening because there was one in Florida as well with a Catholic church in Florida. I think it was a the Ordinariate Parish in Florida. Very concerning. So we're seeing more and more of that take place. I'm glad we're bouncing back, but another thing to be uh, to be aware of uh, the rising of catholic persecution uh, be aware because it will come it's going to be slowly and then all at once slowly and then all at once that's typically how these things happen uh, just look at history yeah. now here's another victory the knights of columbus cancels mass scheduled for masonic auditorium praise be to god amen i'm very glad that that happened the International Field Mass, held annually since 1960, will not take place this year after Catholics raised concern about the venue. They really had no other venue. They had nowhere else they could do it. They had to cancel the event completely. That's very interesting to me. The Knights of Columbus in North Dakota and the Canadian province of Manitoba have canceled a mass that has been scheduled to be held in a Masonic Lodge. The annual Mass of Solidarity and Friendship held at the International Peace Garden was scheduled this year for the Masonic Auditorium in the grounds of the park. The building functions as the annual meeting place for the Peace Garden Lodge of the Freemasons. And the announcement of the location raised serious questions about concern, from concerned Catholics about the appropriateness of holding Mass there. LifeSite News reached out last week to the Knights of Columbus for clarification about the location and also published a petition protesting and offering the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass in their Grand Lodge. The Knights announced this week that its plans changed. They said, quote, Due to the lack of an alternative venue, the International Field Mass, which began in 1960 as a sign of fraternity between the Knights of Columbus and North Dakota and Manitoba, have been canceled for 2023, the organization said. Information regarding a new location for future Masses will be shared when available. The annual International Peace Garden Field Mass has been offered by the Knights of Columbus since 1960, and they're basically saying the same thing, but... Yeah, skip ahead here. He said this year is scheduled for Sunday, July 9th in the Masonic Auditorium, which functions as a lodge for the Masons. Archbishop Richard Gagnon of Winnipeg has agreed to be the celebrant. According to canon law, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is to be carried out in a sacred place unless in a particular case necessity requires otherwise. In such a case, the celebration must be done in a decent place. Given the doctrine and rituals of Freemasonry, which include gruesome blood oaths, Upon advancement to higher degrees, the holding of a mass in an auditorium that functioned as the annual meeting place for Masonic Lodge was met with shock among scandalized Catholics. According to church law, it has long been forbidden to be a member of Freemasonry, which rejects Catholic dogma on original sin, redemption through Christ, and necessity of grace in the church for salvation. The Knights of Columbus was founded, and they just tell a little bit about the work of the Knights of Columbus, and... That's the article published by LifeSite News. So a very good article from LifeSite. I'm glad they shut it down. I really wish that the Knights of Columbus would have come out and said, hey, you know, we don't agree with the Freemasons. Whoops, it was a mistake. I was surprised by the lack of... Um, Explanation, uh, remorse, uh, apology. Exactly, exactly. That's, I mean, 
I'm glad that they have canceled it, but it feels like they're canceling it solely because there is controversy and not because they think what they did was wrong. I also, hearing you read that statement, it just sounds as if since 1960 they've been having that mass at that Masonic Center. It did sound like that, didn't it? Yeah, and then it got caught. And uh, traditionally we've had it there, and they're very obsessed with Maybe that's why they didn't put a response of any type besides it's canceled. We can't find another venue. It's like, ah, we're going to stick it back to the Catholics. It is very weird. Yeah, it is. And... You know, yeah, what's the big deal? It's just a Masonic Lodge. Why don't we can't, they're offering us a venue. They're so charitable to have a mass. You know, why don't you explain that to all the Catholics that were killed by Masons? How the French Revolution was organized in Masonic Lodges. The persecution of the Catholics with the Cristero Wars, those were perpetuated and started in Masonic Lodges and led by Masons. Like you said yesterday, Santa Anna was a Mason and yeah, he got and a free was, pass from the so Americans. Sam Houston. Yes. <laughs> no bueno. No, no bueno. bueno. No, I mean, it's very concerning. And it's weird because now it's becoming a very socially accepted thing to be a Mason and a Catholic, which is impossible. It's literally impossible because as soon as you become a Mason, you are automatically excommunicated from the faith. So you are no longer a Catholic if you are, in fact, a Mason. So uh, keep that in mind. And if you know someone who is a Freemason, well... Tell them, hey, did you know you can't be a Catholic and a Mason? And if they don't believe you, well, here is your opportunity to learn about the faith and practice one of the spiritual works of mercy. So learn why did the church condemn Freemasonry and then spiritual work of mercy. Instruct the ignorant. Let them know, hey, I know you didn't know better, but let me help you. Let me come back, some more concerning news. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the very contemporary and popular idea that a faith alone salvation, which occurs by repenting of sins and asking Jesus in one's heart, sufficient to enter and warrant heaven upon death? I say, no, it's not. Many evangelicals will say, just follow the Romans road, which is four verses snatched out of the book of Romans, and when followed, heaven is promised. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Gospels, nor the Epistles, nor the apostolic and early church fathers ever wrote anything like this mechanical approach. Secondly, the marriage experience. After wrongdoing and temporary departure from your family, does a simple one-time, hey honey, I'm really sorry, bring you back into the family? And thirdly, teaching of the Catholic Church, water baptism, loving God and neighbor, which is displayed by consistent acts of charity while maintaining a perseverant hope of heaven is the surest way to God's eternal presence. And my pesky comeback. That Romans road is presumptuous and significantly dumbs down the holy value and price of salvation. And remember, that Romans road has some potholes. I actually was gone from the Catholic Church for 35 years. I want to get to heaven. I don't know if I will. I mean, I worry about it. But I not only want to get to heaven at the moment of my death, I want to find as much heaven as possible here on earth. So I need help. I don't know why I turned on my radio because I've kept my radio off for years. And once I turned it on, I was absolutely hooked. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is Thursday, July 6, 2023, in the year of our Lord. And these are your headlines for this morning. Catholic News Agency is reporting the seven Catholic parishes in New Haven, Connecticut, have officially been merged on July 1st into one parish named for Father Michael McGivney, founder of the Knights of Columbus. 
This new Blessed Michael McGivney Parish will serve the New Haven Catholics and will operate the existing eight church buildings to serve the thousands of parishioners in New Haven, the birthplace of the Knights of Columbus and the place where Blessed McGivney first served as a parish priest. Archbishop Leonard Blair of Hartford chose the new parish name from a list of suggestions that a committee of New Haven parishioners picked after extensive consideration. Catholic News Agency and Achi Prince are reporting in a new attack against the Catholic Church, the dictatorship of President Daniel Ortega in Nicaragua canceled the legal personhood and confiscated the assets of a congregation of women religious? Members of the Sandinista police, like criminals, broke into the house of the Sisters of the Fraternity of the Poor Ones of Jesus Christ at midnight yesterday. They were going to leave the country soon, tweeted Martha Patricia Molina on July 2nd. Molina is a Nicaraguan lawyer and researcher who authored the report, Nicaragua, a Persecuted Church. Catholic World News and Catholic News Agency are reporting Cardinal Robert Sarah, Prefect Emeritus of the Dicastery for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments, stressed that the, quote, priesthood is unique, end quote, and warned that no council, no synod can invent a female priesthood. In his conference on the priesthood entitled Joyful Servants of the Gospel, given July 3rd at the Conciliar Seminary in Mexico City, the Cardinal assured that no one has the power to transform this divine gift to adapt it and reduce its transcendent value to the cultural and environmental field. No council, no synod, no ecclesiastical authority has the power to invent a female priesthood without seriously damaging the perennial physiog physiognomy of the priest his sacramental identity within the renewed ecclesial vision of the church. Mystery, communion, and mission, he emphasized. And finally, Catholic News Agency is reporting the Vatican will again offer a plenary indulgence to mark the third World Day for grandparents and the elderly on July 23rd. The indulgence can be received by grandparents, the elderly, and all Catholics who, motivated by the true spirit of penance and charity, participate in Pope Francis's July 23rd Mass in St. Peter's Basilica. I am Tito Edwards, and these are your headlines through a Catholic lens. Thank you, Tito, for keeping us up to date. And uh, do I qualify as the elderly? I feel old. I feel very old. Um, I guess not. I guess I don't get that plenary indulgence. Well, in this papacy, if you feel old, then it's okay to consider yourself elderly. You know, well, it's I'm all a about quarter feelings. Of a century old, so I mean, yeah. that's pretty old. I that's would argue. a viejo. That's a one fourth of way to a hundred. So yep. Um, before we jump into this conversation about um, Archbishop uh, Fernandez, uh, I saw this article real quick, and I wanted to just share this because I thought it was kind of funny. The uh, Los Angeles Magazine is reporting that uh, a University of California Berkeley graduate student commuted via plane from L.A. to the Bay Area to avoid paying rent. He saved money by flying to class every single day. Guess how much he spent in, in his commute? Uh, Just about guess. $600 a day? As he spent $5,600 on his commute. And <sighs> he saved money on rent. That's how expensive rent is in, in California. That by commuting, he, by, by plane, he saved money. And L.A., there you go. That's how expensive rent is in California. Dear, dear craziness. faithful Catholics and any others of a capitalist or love America persuasion, Texas is open for you. <laughs> so is Florida well, and the rest of ever, the South. Uh, if 
it ever becomes affordable, maybe I'll move to California. But uh, I know at, it's uh, beautiful at that at those prices. I don't know if I'll be able to or anybody will be able to. Uh, but I want to get into this topic with Archbishop Fernandez. Now, this story is very very concerning about this bishop who has been appointed to the Dicastery of the Doctrine of Faith, um, formerly known as the CDF, the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, Faith, formerly known as the Holy Office, and the head of the Dicastery of the Doctrine of Faith used to be the Grand Inquisitor. It was the Grand Inquisitor who was the in charge. It was the Office of the Inquisition. And then later on, it was uh, Pope Benedict when he held it as Cardinal Ratzinger. He was known as... a uh, the church's bulldog. The hammer of heretics. That's what the people called them. And now it seems like the exact opposite. Now, people have already come to Archbishop Fernandez's defense saying, oh, well, you're taking him out of context. Oh, well, he said a couple good things here and there. So you got to interpret him in light of the good things he said. You got to give him a charitable interpretation. You got to give him a hermeneutic of continuity. That's the way to read Pope Francis. That's the way to read Archbishop Fernandez. That's the way to read all these appointments. It has to be done with a hermeneutic of continuity. Now, I think that that's a uh, very reasonable position to hold. I think that's very charitable of you to try to hold to that position. However, I don't think it's the right position. And I've been reading this book by Arnaldo Xavier de Silveria, who was born in San Paulo, Brazil. He actually just passed away back in 2018. And, and, the, and he was a, trained under the Pontifical Catholic University of Sao Paulo and was a lecturer in many uh, circumstances and many different places. Here, he wrote this book. And this book was written... It was started to be uh, conceived and worked on beginning in 1966, and it was published in 1970. So lest anyone come in and say, oh, he's condemning Pope Francis. Oh, he's condemning X, Y, or Z. He wrote this book more than 30 years ago. He wrote this book about 50 years ago is when he wrote this. So it cannot be said that he's attacking Pope Francis or he's coming after anything like that because this book was not written then. The title of the book is Two Timely Issues. And here he gives a, a rule of hermeneutics. He says that the, the, in the face of this objection, saying that you have to read things charitably, he says we would not consider the particular cases alleged here. In all of them, the traditional affirmation is pushed aside, as it were, by what is opposed to do. I will skip ahead a little. He says it behooves us to give a first answer of a hermeneutical order, which we expound here in outline form. A, in principle... The rule according to which the confused, obscure text of a document should be interpreted by those that are clear is true. And B, however, this rule according to which suspect and heterodox text must be interpreted by orthodox ones requires a distinction. So here he's saying, yes, you should give people the benefit of the doubt. You should be charitable in your interpretations. You should give a hermeneutic continuity. But there's a distinction that has to be made. that has to be kept in mind. He said this rule is applicable when the suspect or heterodox passages occur only one or another time by mistake, as it were. So if it happens once, maybe twice, and it's clear that it's a mistake, well, then, yeah, you give them the benefit of the doubt. I, may, I make mistakes all the time. I would hope that people give me the benefit of the doubt. He says, two, but the rule does not hold when the suspect of heterodox passages are numerous. 
for that which happens by mistake is by its nature occasional and infrequent. In such cases, one should have recourse to other rules and means of interpretation. And three, when addition to being numerous, the confused suspect and heterodox passages form one link to another, a system of thought, the above rule of interpretation does not hold. Instead, the opposite rule applies. It is necessary then to ask if it is not the orthodox text which should be interpreted in the light of the confused suspect and heterodox passages. Let us explain this principle in greater detail. So he goes on from there and explains this passage, and he gives many examples, and he cites Archbishop, uh, the Bishop Antonio de Castro Meyer, who was a bishop in Brazil, which makes sense since he was a Brazilian a writer. He says, quoting the Archbishop, this tendency to reconcile irreconcilable extremes, to find a middle line between truth and error, manifested itself from the beginning of the church. When Arianism was condemned, the tendency gave birth to semi-Arianism. When Pelagianism was condemned, it engendered semi-Pelagianism. When Protestantism was condemned at Trent, it morphed into Jansenism. And from it was born in the same way the modernism condemned by blessed Pius X, that monstrositous confluence of atheism, rationalism, evolutionism, and pantheism, and a school that desires to stab the church from behind. The objective of the modernist sect was always to remain within the church and falsify true doctrine, which is, ex which is exteriorly pretended to accept. Through sophisms, inferences, and reservations, this tendency has not ceased yet. One could even say it forms part of church history. Now, Antonio then goes on and cites the history of Arianism, Pelagianism, Monotheism, Protestantism, Jansenism, and explains how all these different heresies have the same effect where they kind of pre pretend to be orthodox. They kind of present themselves in an orthodox way. And in fact, if you really, if you squint your eyes a little bit and you look at it, you're like, well, we got to interpret them charitably. It comes off as if they are orthodox. That's what it seems to be the case. And yet, they are not. And yet, the church condemned them as heretics. So when we come back, I want to keep these principles in mind and apply this to this new appointment at the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith. So we'll be right back with more after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. What's the primary reason you chose your present church? Doctrinal positions, your family's church, the pastor, church friendliness, dynamic youth ministry? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, statistics. A survey showed that 87% of those who attend a non-Catholic church choose their church because of the senior pastor's sermons. Secondly, the reason for Catholics, this comes from Canon Law 518, which says, as a general rule, a parish is to be one which includes all the Christian faithful of a certain territory. And thirdly, my response, the average span of a mature Christian staying at a non-denominational church is between 18 and 24 months. Why such a short time? You know the reason. They came because we love the pastor and his sermons. He's so relatable and so current. Whoops, now they're tired of relatable and current, so just go down the street. They found some new relatable and current. Oh, the alluring draw of charisma. Fortunately, at a Catholic church, the sermon is not the central moment. Do you know what is the central moment? Body and blood. Donnie, what are the four Gospels in the New Testament? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And who baptized Jesus? 
St. John the Baptist. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Now we're talking about the Archbishop Victor Manuel Fernandez of La Plata, who was raised to be uh, the head of the Congregation of Doctrine of Faith, or rather the Dicastery of Doctrine of Faith, as it's now called. Now this is a very concerning situation because of his history and his theology. It's very, very concerning. Now I want to give you a little bit of timeline because... Many people will say, okay, well, this uh, Pope Francis doesn't really know who he is. He's, he was appointed, but he's probably just a recommendation by the people, but he doesn't really know who he is. This is the, always the argument that's made whenever Pope Francis endorses somebody, whether it be George Soros, whether it be Bill Clinton, <laughs> whether, it be the, um, whether it be Father James Martin whether it be the artist that came and did the image of our Lord and, uh, in a jar of urine, uh, whatever it is, we can be guaranteed that Pope Francis has no idea who he's talking about and what he's doing. That's what people would want us to believe anyway. I, for one, think that Pope Francis is probably smarter than people want to make him out to be. I would say Pope Francis, he's a Jesuit. I'm sure he's very well educated. I'm sure he's well uh, taught. I'm sure he's a very smart man. I don't think that he is without his wits. He seems to be very about his wits. And so I think it is a charitable thing to do to assume that he knows what he's talking about and he does know what he's doing. So I think that's the charitable way to look at Pope Francis. Now, here's a little bit of a timeline. In 2007, Cardinal Jorge Bergoglio brings Fernandez to the fifth general conference of the Latin American bishops as an expert. So that's very interesting. He seemed to know Bishop Fernandez because he brings him to the fifth general conference as his expert, as an expert. In 2009 to 2011, Fernandez is nominated by Bergoglio to serve as rector of the Pontifical Catholic University of Argentina, but faces objections from the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith at the time. Huh, isn't that interesting? Isn't that very interesting? In July 1st, 2023, Pope Francis appoints Archbishop Fernandez as the new prefect for the Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith, in mid-September, he's going to assume his new role. This all happens, and it's very interesting because it was actually in 2013 when he is raised to become archbishop just two months into the Pope Francis pontificate. Because you see, look at that timeline, and it was 2011, 2009 to 2011, when Bergoglio, Cardinal Bergoglio, was pushing for him to be serve as rector of the Pontifical Catholic University, but was rejected by the Congregation Doctrine of Faith. Then 2013, Pope Francis becomes Pope, and all of a sudden he becomes an archbishop. And then now in 2023, he is being raised to the dicastery of Doctrine of Faith. That's very, very interesting. Now, people are concerned about this because he is the ghostwriter of many of the works of Pope Francis, but most notably, Amoris Laetitiae is the one that everybody is discussing in these circumstances. Now, it seems as though that uh, he is his most trusted theologian and primary ghostwriter. That's how many people are reporting it. And he said he has played a significant role in writing papal texts, including Morris Letizia, which opened the door to allowing the divorced and remarried access to receive Holy Communion. 
Now, many people will say that's not true. You cannot say that he approves of divorce and remarriage. This is not what's happened. This is a, a falsity, a criticism, a, a calumny, one might say. And yet, it seems to be the case. And how do I know this? Because Cardinal Mueller came out and said this as much. Cardinal Mueller, who was the prefect of the Congregation of Doctrine and Faith from 2012 to 2017, he recognized that this bishop, Bishop Fernandez, was a heretic. And Michael Haynes, in an interview with Cardinal Mueller, asked him, Your eminence, you have gone on record previously calling some of Archbishop Fernandez's statements heretical. What danger does he pose now as head of the CDF, especially given his writings and promotion of Moris Letizia as opening communion to divorce and remarriage? He says, The opinion which I criticized at the time, that any diocese, could become the seed of Peter's successor is already directly qualified by the fathers of Vatican I as heretical contradiction to the revealed faith in the second canon of the Constitution past her attorneys. This is in response to something that Archbishop Fernandez had come out saying that he believes that any diocese could be the seat of Peter. So you could have the diocese of Houston, Texas, a Galveston, Houston, and say that is the new seat of St. Peter. He said, this is condemned statement by pastor attorneys. It's a heretical position, which Fernandez holds to. Very interesting. Haynes also asked him, Archbishop Fernandez has also argued that sexual relations between cohabitating couples are not always sinful. Now, this gets right into the Amoris Letizia idea. It says here, invoking the original will of the creator, Jesus himself termed divorce and remarriage as adultery in discussion with the hard-hearted Pharisees who made the argument about the reality of life for their contemporaries and an inability to fulfill God's commandments. Now, this is very concerning because what we see here is that people are trying to point out this man clearly holds positions that are contrary to the faith. But they're saying, but that's not what Amor Letizia is really saying. That's not what Pope Francis is saying. And yet, whenever this was came up in conversation... Pope Francis actually endorses the position of Fernandez, one, by his current thing of raising him to the office, but also because he told him as much that this is the proper interpretation. He tells him this is the proper interpretation. And I think that we should believe people when they tell us what they believe. That's a really strange position to hold, I know. Not to mention that the New Ways Ministry, who supports the LGBT ideology in the church, they came out with an article at this appointment saying the Pope's letter, referring to the letter that was released in regards to the raising of Fernandez to the Congregation of Doctrine of Faith, it said it's a bit dense, and yet it offers a revolutionary vision for the future of the church's engagement with theology, particularly disputed topics. Christopher Lamb of the Tablet said the appointment has set off an ecclesiastical earthquake and announced a total overhaul in how the doctrine department does business. The immoral methods named by Francis have long been used to suppress a more LGBTQ positive direction in the church. These methods have included the suppression of LGBTQ ministry leaders, and such as, and lists a bunch of people, a lot of them notably being sisters and, and priests, and very concerning. According to Lamb, anyone subject to one of their investigations will attest to the psychological and emotional toll that it takes. 
the then Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith under Ratzinger, was also the church office that introduced the harmful language of objectively disordered about lesbian and gay couples in 1986 letter, which also led to the expulsion of dignity chapters from Catholic property. Now, what likely changes? He said the close papal confidant, Austin Ivory, as saying that the DDF is to function not by policing and controlling orthodoxy, but rather opening up new paths of theological reflection, above all, that arise from a synodal church. What does this tell me? This tells me that there is a bigger thing going on here. This is not a one-off incident that should be concerning on a one small aspect. Instead, it seems like we're setting up for the Synod on Synodality to come to fruition and what is to happen. Pope Francis told Fernandez, I don't want you hunting down heresy. I want you to be more pastoral. He says, The dicastery that you will preside over in other epochs came to use immoral methods. Those were times when more than promoting theological knowledge, they chased after possible doctrinal errors. What I expect from you is something, without doubt, much different. Huh. Interesting. They don't want him hunting down doctrinal errors. Instead, they want him promoting theological knowledge. You know, that's funny. It's really funny to me because Pope Pius X, when he talked about this, he actually says as much considering this exact issue. And I thought it was very, very telling that it seems as though we're leading, reading right from Pope Pius X and what he had to say about this. He says, in the same way, they, the modernist, draw their distinctions between theological and pastoral exegesis and scientific and historical exegesis. Interesting. He says, in the writings and addresses, they seem not unfrequently to advocate now one doctrine, now another, so that one would be disposed to regard them as vague and doubtful. But there is reason for this. It's saying here that they deliberately do things like this. This is exactly what we expect from people to come out and try to say one thing in one way and one thing another and try to confuse the issue enough that you're like, well, I don't really know what they're saying. And therefore, you know, I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt. They're probably meaning the right thing. That's probably what's happening here. And he goes on here. It's very, very interesting. He said, when asked about the CDS March 2021 respondium condemning same-sex blessings, Fernandez did not give a straightforward answer. Huh. Interesting, huh? Instead of suggesting a future possibility of allowing homosexual blessings, he replied, quote, Look, just as I am firmly against abortion, and I challenge you to find someone in Latin America who has written more articles than me against abortion, I also understand that marriage in the strict sense is only one thing, the stable union of two beings as different as a man and woman, who in that difference are capable of engendering new life. There is nothing that can be compared to that, and to use that name to express something else is neither good nor right. Continuing, though, Fernandez outlined his support for homosexual blessings if they were given in a way that, quote, does not cause that confusion. He argued, quote, at the same time, I believe that we must avoid gestures or actions that could express something different. That is why I think that the greatest care to be taken is to avoid rites or blessings that could feed the confusion. Now, if a blessing is given in such a way that it does not cause that confusion, it will have to be analyzed and confirmed. As you will see, there is a point 
where we leave a properly theological discussion and move on to a question that is rather prudential or disciplinary. Interesting. Making a distinction there between the theological and the pastoral. Very interesting what he's doing there. Very, very interesting. So I would argue that what he's doing here is trying to slow pedal, soft pedal. Like, look, hey, hey, I, I adhere to church teaching. Don't, don't come after me. I clearly said I believe in marriage. I believe marriage between one man and one woman. Now, I'm not saying that, I mean, if you want to have a blessing, we should just be clear about it, make sure it's not uh, endorsing same-sex unions, but I think it's okay to give blessings to these people. Very, very concerning. It's a soft peddling of this idea, a desensitization that takes just a little bit. It takes little bites out of the magisterium. It takes little bites out of it. So that way, over time, these small bites become a devouring of the elephant. A very, very concerning situation. In fact, if you read a, a lot of the other things that he's come out as supporting, it's very clear that he came out in support of endorsing same-sex, uh, not same-sex, of of divorce, and, uh, of fornication, rather. Yeah. Of fornication, where he came out and said that if you fornicate, well, you're not always sinning. In fact, sometimes you may not be sinning. And I'm thinking, well, what on earth are we doing? What is the purpose of this? Why are we saying these things? They say, no, 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 I condemn. I condemn people sleeping together that's bad but you know they may not always be sinning you know their conscience might be be deadened and therefore they're not committing a sin at all a very concerning situation which we're going to keep an eye on because there is much more in regards to this and we didn't even get to the kill me with your mouth book that he wrote we'll be back with more after this I also want to dialogue with all the young people. Catholics are committed to building a society which is truly tolerant but inclusive. Let us treat others with the same passion and compassion with which we want to be treated. Come and see what good things God is waiting for you at CatholicsComeHome.com. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. When you walk into your non-denominational church or your megachurch, what do you see? What stands out to you? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, observations in a Catholic church. You will notice at least eight items, all of which have religious, historical, or biblical significance. Secondly, what are those items? As soon as you walk in, the can't-miss baptismal font, a stone altar, stained glass windows, 14 stations of Christ's passion, statues, a gold tabernacle, a lit candle near the tabernacle, and a large crucifix. Thirdly, my take. So, what seems to fill your church and truly move you toward Jesus? Oh, I know you don't need a physical or superfluous objects to move you toward Jesus. He's everywhere and in your heart. And that is true. But tell that to Moses, David, and Solomon, who were under strict and exact directions from God on how to build his house and then fill it with his Shekinah glory. I mean, does a comfy chair, does a flashy Fender guitar, does a well-fashioned stage move you toward contemplation and holiness? Remember, stages are for entertainment, but sanctuaries are for worship. I don't know why I turned on my radio because I've kept my radio off for years. And once I turned it on, I was absolutely hooked. I love the shows with the Catholic apologists. I love the shows with the sort of day-to-day psychologist, Greg and Lisa Popchek. I love hearing not just of other people's problems who call in, but I love getting the Catholic take 
on how to deal with day-to-day reality. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Faith, hope, charity. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. I'm Noah from St. Edward Catholic Church in Spring. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Raised to the psychiatry of the doctrine of faith. Now, there were a lot of things that were concerning about him, and the least of which, honestly, in my opinion, is his book, Heal Me With Your Mouth. That's what everybody's talking about. It's not very appropriate, very sensual, not very appropriate at all. And uh, that's pretty much what everybody's talking about at the moment. You can find a dozen or two dozen videos talking about that book. And so I figured it wouldn't, wasn't really worth bringing up. I was reading it over the weekend just to see what it was about. And it is very, very scandalous. But he kind of, he kind of couches it in this, this um, manner where he's like, well, I'm just quoting all these people. I'm not actually endorsing what they're saying. I'm presenting all these ideas. And he doesn't attribute them to himself. And a very concerning situation. The concerning part also is that he said that he did this by interviewing young people and that this was a catechesis for teenagers. And I was like, yikes, a book about kissing by a, by a priest. A priest. At the time, he was a priest and not a bishop. But, um, yeah, very, very weird situation that he did there. Um, one last thing I wanted to bring up, kind of wanted to finish out that. I was looking for this quote during the last segment, and I was struggling to find it. I had my notes in front of me, and uh, this was the quote I was looking for. There's a 2017 crisis article that was uh, published talking about Archbishop Manuel Fernandez, which is interesting. 2017, we were talking about this guy. They said that they, he's dubbed as Pope Francis' closest theological advisor. If a sexually active unmarried couple lives together, he says it is, quote, licit to ask whether such sexual activity should always fall in its integral meaning within the negative precept of fornication. He says that. One cannot maintain that those acts in each and every case Bless you. are gravely dishonest in a subjective sense. Okay, that's um, very, very interesting that he would say that because if that's the case, he's saying that we cannot always see that fornication to be considered a sin. He said he can't really see it as that, not necessarily. And the article then says, you know, the other thing that's interesting is that Pope Francis gave the church an authoritative interpretation on Amoris Letitiae, basically quoting Archbishop Fernandez. And he says that the vexing communion issue via his papal letter of thanks to the Bishop of Buenos Aires for their guidelines on this question, which allowed for discerning cases in which such couples would, would be permitted to receive communion. In that letter, Pope Francis himself stresses there is, quote, no other interpretation, end quote, besides theirs. Hmm. That's very, very concerning. That's very, very concerning that this is what he says. And this is the problem where he'll say one thing and then he'll say the opposite thing. And so how are you supposed to mean that? How are you supposed to interpret that? If we see him say things that are very positive, very good, because Pope Francis will come out and he'll condemn LGBT heresy. He'll come out against trans ideology. He'll come out against abortion. He'll come out against 
uh, but against fornication. But then we'll see these smaller things where he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I totally agree with the Buenos Aires bishops and their interpretation on this. Oh, yeah, I totally agree with this person. Oh, I totally agree with that person. And how are we supposed to take that? Which is why I wanted to start off that segment talking about the, the book Two Timely Issues by Arnaldo Xavier de Silveria. Because he explains that in these circumstances, when it's over and over again, and it's constant confusion, it's not a one-time slip-up, it's not a uh, here and there, one quote amongst a huge document, but it's consistent and constant. It is no longer the reasonable position to try to say, okay, well, we have to interpret it in the orthodox way. In fact, he says, in fact, the opposite is true. We should interpret the good things in light of the bad. And he gives examples like Martin Luther. Or Martin Luther would affirm, like, oh, yeah, you can celebrate Mass. But by Mass, he's referring to consubstantiation rather than transubstantiation. He's like, oh, yeah, the bread and wine totally become the body and blood of Christ. But if you actually dig into what he means by that, he means that at the moment that the priest says the words, then... Our Lord is there with the elements, and only then, and then our Lord goes away later on. That's not transubstantiation. Nope. He's not holding to Catholic theology. So I think it's a very important that we keep this in mind when we're trying to understand what's going on, which is why I'm really happy with what 1 Peter 5 is doing. 1 Peter 5 just had Dr. John Joy as one of their new editors for their, for their, their um, website, and Dr. John Joy, we've tried to get him on in the past, but he was just kind of slippery to get on, very busy guy. He wrote this article, Traditional Theology of the Magisterium, Part 1. And I think this is great because it's a part one of a series of articles that he's going to be working on to try to promote Catholic theology. He said, the magisterium is a topic of great interest and grave importance for Catholics today. The editorial stance that 1 Peter 5 has adopted with me uh, with which I am in full agreement is one that strives to strike a balance between these excessive ad adulations of the magisterium typical of the hyper-papalist and the tendency to disparage the magisterium that unfortunately characterizes some of the more extreme traditionalists. We need to be sufficiently well-versed in the traditional faith of the church to recognize and resist when our shepherds would lead us astray from the rich pastures of true doctrine and right worship. But we also need to remember that submission to hierarchical authority of the church is itself an essential part of the traditional faith of the church in which we rejoice to glory. Yes, the theology of the magisterium is an involved topic with many tangled threads that are open questions and the church has not definitively answered and that theologians disagree about, which can be very frustrating to a Catholic who wants clarity and certainty about what is supposed to believe and accept in matters of religion. As a Catholic theologian who loves our Lord Jesus Christ, the King above all things, as one who is profoundly attached to the traditional liturgy as the form of worship most befitting his divine majesty, and as one who glories in the visible and authoritative nature of the church, which our Lord founded upon the rock of St. Peter, my studies of the theology of the magisterium have helped me, by the grace of God, to have clarity of mind and peace of soul amidst the storm of doubt and confusion that whirls about us in the current ecclesiastical climate even after Traditionis Custodis. God willing, I hope that I may be able to help others to obtain some additional measure of clarity and peace through a series of articles that would be something like a Magisterium 101 course for a traditionalist. I think this is very good. 
And in fact, I have one of his books that I've been reading. It's called um, Dispute of Questions on Papal Infallibility. And he has another book on the Ordinary and Extraordinary Magisterium that he put out. And I think this is very good because seeing these things happen, it can kind of concern you. It can kind of uh, disturb your peace. But we can't allow that. We can't allow these bad things in the church to disturb us. Instead, it should be a calling to us to try to say, okay, well, now what must I do? I must learn the faith. I must learn the faith whole and entire. I cannot rely on someone else. I cannot rely on my priest. I cannot rely on my bishop. I cannot rely on the pope. I must learn the faith. Well, you're saying, okay, well, how can I learn if no one teach me? And what the eunuch said to St. Philip. Well, what you do is you find good teachers. Where are these good teachers? Well, number one are books. Go pick up books that were written before the confusion in the church, before the great confusion were happening, where everybody was disagreeing about everything and things were more clear. Pick up those books. What's something simple that I would recommend? Well, the Tradivox series, where they're just republishing old catechisms. And that's what the church was always taught. And it's just repeated over and over in different ways, some expounding upon certain details in, in far more in-depth nature, while others are kind of more surface level. Well, that's a very, very easy thing to read. I would recommend that. Or maybe pick up some other books by saints, by the great saints. How about St. Thomas Aquinas? How about St. Robert Bellarmine? How about these great saints that existed before the confusion in the church? I personally try to read these things that are written uh, before the 1950s even. I try to keep at least going back that far. Because these things didn't come out of 1960s. It wasn't created out of whole cloth after Vatican II. These things were bubbling about for 100 years before Vatican II. It was bubbling about the 1920s, even before the 1920s. It's a long situation. So you have to find who you can trust. You can find those that you can trust, and then you cling to those who adhere to the magisterium. And how do you know you can trust them? How do you know when you're reading something whether or not it is worthwhile because many things that are bad have approval from bishops. And so how, do you, how can you tell if something is good or bad? Well, when you read it, one, you need to be devoted to the Blessed Virgin Mary. You have to be praying the rosary every single day. If you pray the rosary every single day, I guarantee you your mind will be more clear to make the right decisions. Number two, you have to be free from mortal sin. You must be free from mortal sin especially sins against purity. We're celebrating the feast of Maria Goretti today, and she is a great patroness of purity. And so we have to be pure. We have to be chaste. Why? Because it is blessed are the pure of heart for they shall see God. If you're a traditionalist, if you're concerned about the things going on in the church, if you're a conservative Catholic, but you struggle with purity, well, Maybe get a hold of that. Maybe say, okay, I'm going to put aside church politics. I'm going to put aside just secular politics as well. And I'm going to work on purity. Because I cannot understand the crisis in the church. I cannot fight against the crisis of the church. I cannot have a clear mind to see the problems in the church and to fight against it, understand true doctrine, if I'm unpure. Because if blessed are the pure heart, for they shall see God, the inverse must be true. 
those who are not pure of heart shall not see God, and it'll be much harder for you to see the truth. And number three, when you're reading the things, when you're reading different things, who are they citing? Who are they referring to? Who are they promoting? If they are promoting and citing the magisterium of the church, the great saints, the doctors of the church, then they're more likely, not always, but more likely to be a trustworthy source. And you have a diversity. Read a lot. And then you can see, okay, compare and contrast. Well, St. Thomas says this. St. Robert Bellarmine says this. St. John Bosco says this. But this guy says that. Hmm. I guess I'm going to go with these guys instead. And that's the way to do it. And that's the way I do it. Whenever I read something, I say, okay, well, let's look at all of this in light of each other. Let's not blind ourselves to these positions. And then one other thing, and this may be uh, more difficult for some people, read the Bible. Read the Bible. We need to understand the teachings of the church and read the Bible in light of the the church, in light of the magisterium of the church. However, many things are incredibly obvious. For instance, whenever in Genesis we see God created the man and woman, that's very clear. So we know very clearly anybody who says otherwise must be wrong. And we can see this very much in the teaching of the church. How about in Genesis 19, verses 15 to 29? The Lord God rained down sulfurous fire upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And how should we react to Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, maybe we should have the same disposition as God. Very interesting. And so I recommend read the New Testament first. Start with the New Testament. Read all the way through. And start with Matthew and go through to the Apocalypse. And then go to Genesis and read through the Bible. If you do these things, it will be it will assure you in your faith. It'll try to give you a stealing of your heart. So your will will be steeled against the confusion and chaos. And remember the vision of St. John Bosco. When the church is being battered on every side, when the tempest is raging and it feels like all is lost, how do you have stability? Anchor yourself to Our Lady and the Holy Eucharist. The two pillars that'll be our salvation that'll be our stability amidst the storm is our lady and the Holy Eucharist. If we have those two things, we need not worry. We need not be concerned because we know our Lord will be with us. Now that'll lead us into fear and trembling game show where we're going to be giving out prizes tomorrow, but you can call in today to be a winner. How do you call in? Well, you pick up your phone and dial 877-757-9424-877. 757-9424-877-757-9424. That's the number to call to be part of the game show. You could be the winner. We're giving away a free book this week. 877-757-9424. That's the number to call. One last time, I'm going to give you that number right now. 877 877- Seven five seven nine four two four. We'll be right back with Fear and Trembling. We take the first caller. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the Bible sufficient to answer all questions about Christian living and church life? Well, the answer is definitively no. There isn't agreement on scores of doctrinal issues, such as the effects of baptism, who can receive communion, once saved, always saved, abortion, or how about eligibility for marriage after divorce? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, fruit analysis. Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli, who are the fathers of non-Catholic Christianity, did not rid the unbiblical practices they despised, but instead turned out to be the progenitors of some 50 denominations and scores of divergent beliefs. Secondly, natural reason. Well, if the Bible alone is supposed to clarify all beliefs, the very fact that such division prevails is actually proof that an arbiter of doctrine is desperately needed. And thirdly, the golden twins. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition will always prevail as the foundation of all Christian truth, doctrines, and beliefs. Remember, identical twins come from one egg. I turned from a recreational drug user to a drug addict. That took me to my knees. I lost a family, almost two families. I lost friends. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. I love it. My heart's there. I took communion after 18 years, and I, the rest of the Mass, I sat and cried. God restored my life. God restored my family. God restored my love. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. That's the number to call to be part of the game show Fear and Trembling where we give out prizes and you could win. Now, you may be asking, what exactly am I listening to? What's going on here? Well, it's very clear, very simple, really. Here I have three Catholic trivia questions. Now, you may be saying, I don't know Catholic trivia. I can't get any of those right. Well, it's very simple because the trick is I'm not going to ask you the questions. I'm going to ask Tito the questions, and Tito's going to give me an answer, and it's your job to discern whether or not he's trying to trick you or whether or not he is being serious. And so that means even if you just guess on these questions, you're liable to get a 50-50 chance of getting the question right. Though I would argue there's a more than 50% chance in my opinion, but you would still be entered for a chance to win the prize. And this week is a special week because we didn't have the 4th of July day of uh, the game show on. And so we actually have greater chances for you to win. So every single correct answer, which you get three opportunities, and every correct answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Tito, what could they win? Thank you, Adrian. The Fear and Trembling prize for today is a book by Sophia Institute Press called The Devout Life, a modern guide to practical holiness with St. Francis de Sales. Thank you very much. Yeah. And the Devout Life, we love The Devout Life. Yes, we uh, do. We love St. Francis de Sales. So... Excellent opportunity, excellent opportunity to learn about holiness. We love holiness. Well, it looks like we have a caller on the line. Marcus, good morning to you. Good morning. Marcus, where are you calling from? Uh, we're from D.C. From D.C.? Wow. America's we don't get too many D.C. callers, praise be to God. Uh, you actually live in D.C. or do you live outside of D.C.? Outside of D.C. Outside of D.C. Okay, okay. That makes sense. I'm like, I, not too many people actually live in D.C., 
Um, I say that, though, I'm sure there's actually tons, but it's kind of like Houston where it's like nobody really wants to live in the city. They all live outside of the city, and we all drive into the city to work. Yeah. Um, but there you go. So where are you off to this morning? Uh, had taken my son to camp. To camp? Praise to God. Me. Tell me about yeah. camp. What's camp? Um, camp is, it's like a um, we do, we get to go, like, in water. Nice. Like, we do, like, like we get to That's right. Camp Kaliba. Nice. Nice. That sounds like fun. I remember I went to a camp a couple times. So I hope you have a great time with camp. That sounds like a blast. Um, but thank you for calling in. Are you familiar with how the game works? Um, yeah, I think uh, there's a couple of guys that, that do the work for me, essentially, and I just got to decide who's right. <laughs> there you go. It's very easy, very straightforward, not too difficult. I'm sure you're going to nail it. I'm, uh, I'm looking at the questions over here, and I got to say, it's all easy question Thursday. Now, Dad, don't cheat. You can't be asking your son for, uh, for the answers. I mean, I'm sure he's a, uh, a brilliant theologian that we have over in that room right there in the back seat, and uh, we have to be very careful we're not... Uh, getting a phone a friend over there but are you ready to play all right let's do it all right let's do it question number one tito let's do this question numero uno what is another name for the mormons wow well that's an open question (laughs) uh they are uh, members of the church of latter-day saints latter-day saints yeah latter Members of the Church of Latter-day Saints. Well, if today isn't good, oh, tomorrow is a latter day. Peace As, be uh, upon Joseph Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Uh, all right, Marcus. Uh, the question on the board. What is another day for the Mormons? 15 seconds on the clock. Uh, Tito seems to think that they are called members of the Church of the Latter-day Saints. Uh, what say you, Marcus, from D.C.? Is that correct or is that wrong? I think, I think Tito's got it. You think Tito's got it? That is, in fact, correct. It is true. The Mormons actually prefer the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Actually, is what they prefer to That's be called. That's right. They updated it yeah, five they, years ago. Yeah, a couple years ago, they added Jesus Christ to it because they were like, we want to be seen as Christians. Yeah. And so if we add the name Jesus Christ to the name, maybe people will actually see us as Christians. Um Here's a hint. They're not Christians. Uh, they don't have. They don't accept the Trinitarian theology. No. They don't uh, accept uh, the baptism as uh, as properly understood, and they don't use the form of baptism correctly. So they are not Christians. They, they also do. In the first time, they don't want to be referred to as Mormons. In the past, they didn't say anything about that, but now they would. Yeah. Prefer, yeah. They're like, don't call us that. Yeah. Which, I was like, okay, okay. No, it's right. a cool name. Oh, no problem. We won't call you that. I'll call you um, the, by the whole name, but okay. Yeah, that's... All right. Let's go into question number two. Marcus, are you ready for question number two? Sure. All right. Here's the question. What is the name of the startling stories Jesus used to challenge his listeners in their understanding of life and religion? Ha, huh, that... Startling stories. That's interesting how that's phrased. That means it must be a unique way of storytelling. Is it? Uh, uh, parable? Possibly? Parables. Parables. Parabolas. 
Yes. Parabolas. Isn't that like a shape? Isn't no, that's Spanish for oh. uh, par- parables. Oh, parabolas. I was thinking of a parabola, I guess is what I was thinking of. Is that like a geometry? I think so. Yeah, I think, I think so. so too. I, I didn't do very good in geometry. I got like a B. Yeah, not, just not had great. Not great. Square. But luckily, this is not a geometry question. It's not a geometry question. Otherwise, no, no, I'd be no. lost. Yeah. Uh, the question on the board is, what is the name of the startling stories of Jesus that he used to challenge his listeners' understanding of life and religion? 15 seconds on the clock, Marcus. The question, what are those stories called? Tito seems to think they are parables. What say you, Marcus, heading to camp? Yeah, I think, I think that's right, too. You think that's right, too, he yeah, says. That is correct. It is, in fact, called parables. Um, those are the uh, the way that our Lord told stories in order to try to teach a good lesson. And it's very interesting because uh, we talk about the tradition of the church and trusting in the tradition of the church. It's funny because in the Bible, it says that he would pull the apostles aside and explain the parables because everybody else was confused and the apostles were confused, too. So our Lord pulled them aside and was like, hey, look, I'm explaining to you guys this is what it means. And that's how we know today, because it gets passed down to us. And obviously some of them get explained in Scripture, but we also trust in what the church has passed down to us throughout the ages. Uh, but you already knew that, right, Marcus? Uh, yeah, well, Xavier knew that. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's the name that's, of your son? Xavier. Okay. That's a good name. Yeah. Good, solid name. Francis Xavier walked um, all the way to to uh, Japan, uh, well, to the coast. Obviously, not he didn't walk on the. <laughs> I guess he could have walked on the water. I guess that's possible. But Xavier, good name, good name. We like it. All righty, Marcus, are you ready for question number three? Yes. Then let's do it. Question numero trace. The sacred host used for benediction is reserved in a blank which is placed in the glass portion of the monstrance. Fascinating. I didn't know it had a name, so I'm going to pull out my Latin. It's a circular glass mm. window. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. am going with Arbis. Orbis. Orbis. Orbis is what yes. you okay. Is that ecclesial or vulgar? Oh, uh, well, I don't or know. Tr- uh, classical, that's classical, for sure. Classical, sorry. Um, I don't Orbeez. know classical Latin, but I do know ecclesiastical Latin a little bit. Okay. Uh, Orbis is what Orbeez, you're going with. Yes, I'm going with Orbis. Orbis. That's a very interesting word. It sounds like a orb. Orb. A very, it's, very it's interesting. a spherical mm. symbol. Okay. Yes. Could, be, could be geometry. Well, Marcus and Xavier, uh, the question on the board, the sacred host used for benediction is reserved in a blank, which is placed in the glass portion of the monstrance. 15 seconds on the clock. Tito seems to think that it's reserved in a Orbis, which is placed in the glass portion of the monstrance. Uh, what say you, Marcus, getting uh, some help from Xavier in the back seat? He's getting. I'm hearing some cheating going on. Uh, what say y'all? Is it Orbis? Is he right? Is he wrong? What say y'all? Uh, I, 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 mean, I, I agree with the carpet guys. So I'm not sure Orbis is the right one. Um, but I, I think I don't think that's true. He don't think that's true. He says he's like, nah, I don't. I mean, he's not right. He's not right. Well, let's see. We'll see hmm. if you're right. Uh huh. Uh huh. That is correct. It is correct that he is incorrect. That is correct that he is incorrect. That's clear as mud. The correct <laughs> answer is a Luna or a Luneta. 
Why, there you go. Why is it called a Luna? Uh, because it's shaped in the in a, a moon, shaped ah, like a moon. Okay, and it okay. has a little turn on it that's shaped like a crescent moon, and so ah, it goes in. Ah, bingo! And so that's a it's a Luna. Even more. There you go. I so, like that. I think X Boy gave Dad the answer. I'm thinking Xavier probably did, in fact, uh, give him the answer. He was uh, Xavier's over there whispering, "Dad, it's Luna." It's Luna! And Marcus is like, oh, I guess Orbeez is wrong. Uh, but very good, you guys. Y'all rocked it. Clearly men of great uh, theological knowledge. Um, but congratulations. Y'all got three yes, for three. Yes, the monstrance of all things. That's wonderful. How do y'all feel? Oh, this is, uh, what do you, what do you think? I feel pretty good. You got them all, Xavier. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a big deal. I'm happy. There you go. Yes. There you go. Good well, job, Way to Javi. go, guys. And make sure y'all stay on the line because we're going to make sure we get your contact information so we can send you that prize if we draw y'all's name out on Friday. Uh, but God bless y'all. Have a safe trip to camp and have a fun trip at camp. Yes. I hope you have a blessed time. Thank you so much, guys. You're, you're the best. Thank you. Take care. Oh, when I was a little boy, Bye. I had a blast Ooh. at summer camp. All right. I'll be putting y'all on hold, and we'll make sure we get y'all's contact information. And that's going to do it for the radio side. If you can join us in the after show, we'd love to have you. you got to hop on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Odyssey. And just hop on with us, and we'll be able to communicate with you directly. I would love to hear your comments about today's issues. Very concerning situations, and I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are as we discuss that in the after show. But if not, we'll see you back here tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network and Catholic Spirit Radio. I forgot to remember to mention Catholic Spirit Radio. We're on air with them starting uh, in this June, actually, this last June we started with them. So God bless you guys on Catholic Spirit Radio. But that's going to do it. We'll see you in just a moment. God love you. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Community. For more information, visit salt.net or Our Lady of Corpus Christi.org. Today we celebrate Thursday of the 13th week in Ordinary Time, the Memorial of St. Maria Goretti. This holy sacrifice of the Mass is being offered for all those listening in on the Guadalupe Radio Network and all of our online viewers. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Alleluia, Alleluia. The burning sun with golden beam, the silver moon with softer gleam. Oh, praise Him. Oh, praise Him, Alleluia!
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. Let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do through my fault, through my fault, through my most deep, grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Let us pray. O God, author of innocence and lover of chastity, who bestowed the grace of martyrdom on your handmaid, the Virgin Saint Maria Goretti. In her youth, grant, we pray, through her intercession, that as you gave her a crown for her steadfastness, so we too may be firm in obeying your commandments. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. A reading from the book of Genesis. God put Abraham to the test. He called him Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son Isaac, your only one whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. There you shall offer him up as a burnt offering on a height that I will point out to you. Early the next morning, Abraham saddled his donkey, took with him his son Isaac and two of his servants as well and with the wood that he had cut for the burnt offering, set out for the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham got sight of the place from afar. Then he said to his servants, Both of you stay here with the donkey, while the boy and I go on over yonder. We will worship and then come back to you. Thereupon Abraham took the wood from, for the burnt offering and laid it on the, his son Isaac's shoulder while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two walked on together, Isaac spoke to his father Abraham. Father, he said. Yes, son, he replied. Isaac continued, Here are the fire and the wood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Son, Abraham answered, God himself will pro provide the sheep for the burnt offering. Then the two continued going forward. When they had come to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. Next, he tied up his son Isaac and put him on top of the wood on the altar. Then he reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the Lord's messenger called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Do not lay your hand on the boy, said the messenger. Do not do the least thing to him. I know now how devoted you are to God, since you did not withhold from me your own beloved son. As Abraham looked about, 
he spied a ram caught by the horns in the thicket. So he went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham named the site Yahweh Yiri. Hence people now say, On the mountain the Lord will see. Again the Lord's messenger called to Abraham from heaven and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you acted as you did in not withholding from your beloved son, I will bless you abundantly and make your descendants as countless as the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. Your descendants shall take possession of the gates of their enemies, and in their descendants all the nations of the earth shall find blessing. All this because you obeyed my command. Abraham then returned to his servants, and they set out together for Beersheba, where Abraham made his home. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Responsorial Psalm. I will walk in the presence of the Lord in the land of the living. I will walk in the presence of the Lord in the land of the living. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your kindness, because of your truth, why should the pagans say, Where is their God? I will, I will walk, walk in the presence of the Lord in the land of the living. Our God is in heaven. Wherever he wills, he does. Their idols are silver and gold and handiwork of men. I will walk, I will walk in the in presence of the, of the Lord, Lord in the land of the living. They have mouth but speak not. They have eyes but see not. They have ears but hear not. They have nose but smell not. I will, I will walk, walk in the, in the presence, presence of the Lord in the land of the living. Their makers shall be like them, everyone who trusts in them. The house of Israel trusts in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. I will walk in the presence of the Lord in the land of the living. Alleluia, 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 alleluia. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. After entering a boat, Jesus made the crossing and came into his own town. And there were people to him in a paralytic there were people brought to him a paralytic lying on a stretcher. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Courage, child, your sins are forgiven. At that some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. Jesus knew what they were thinking and said, Why do you harbor evil thoughts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your stretcher, and go home. He rose and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were struck with awe and glorified God who had given such authority to men. The Gospel of the Lord. 
praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. It is amazing how much one person's decision affects another's. It wasn't just Abraham who was put to the test. It was Abraham's wife, it was his son, it was his servants. And because he was faithful to the test, thousands upon thousands of generations of time, people were affected and his decision went out like a ripple across continents and across great time. And today we call him the father of many nations. And he is that the covenant that God made with him affects us very deeply. The same thing is true for St. Maria Goretti. The decision that she made not only affected her, but affected her parents, affected everyone around us, around her, and affected all of us today. We celebrate this 12-year-old little girl's martyrdom of virginity, a martyrdom of purity, a martyrdom of chastity. And, and you know, the, the thing is, like, your decisions have a very deep effect on your being. The, in the book of Exodus, after God gave the law to Moses, after actually he gave the first commandment, he said, He who follows my law, I will bless to the thousandth generation. But if you don't follow my law, you'll be cursed to the third and fourth generation. Now, the, the biggest, one of the biggest inheritances or causes of certain things is your generation. When a person has mental illness, the biggest factor, the first thing that mental health workers ask is, does it run in your family? When you have heart disease, the biggest contributing factor is actually genetics. It's not your diet. Genetics is a bigger factor than anything else. First thing you ask is, does it run in your family? When it comes to uh, sexual deviancy in your, in, your, in your life, the 1986 Dr. Dean Hammer, he said, in Time Magazine wrote an article about it, I remember I was a kid, and it said, we've discovered the gay gene in 1986. And six months later he said, wait a minute, I made a mistake. It's not a determinant gene, it's a deficient gene, like alcoholism. One of the biggest things for alcoholism, uh, there's a gene, it's not determinant, like you have you know, brown hair or yellow hair or a certain eye color. It's a deficient gene. It means that it's possible for you to inherit from your parents a tendency towards addiction. The same thing is true with sexual deviancy. It is very possible for you to inherit from your family and their decisions the effects of that decision. And it's called uh, sexual deviancy. Well, look at Jesus and the Gospel. Jesus is saying he has come to save us from ourselves and save us and and forgive us but also forgive us but change history and this is the, the the good news that he gave he has the authority to forgive sins he has the authority to reverse these effects to stop these effects and make people holy and this is the wonderful thing about our Lord Jesus and the Catechism of the Catholic Church points out that the Pharisees were correct when they said only God can forgive sins, when they, when they said, 
you know, how can you say that you have the authority to forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. Well, guess who Jesus is? He is God. And guess who gave the authority to the Catholic Church to forgive sins? God. It wasn't just Jesus going around doing some holy things, doing some good things as a good man. He was the Lord God who was giving to the church the power to stop these generational curses, the power to change history. And for this, we are truly grateful. And for this, we say, Alleluia. And for this, we stand up like St. Maria Gretti to the foul evils of our time, to the, the filth of our time, to the pornographic age of our time. And we say, we will live in the light. We will follow Jesus and we will not allow the decisions of thousands around us to affect us. We will try to be that one shining light in the midst of the darkness, like St. Maria Gretti, to be pure and to witness to God's holy purity. St. Maria Gretti, pray for us. Let us bring our petitions to the Lord. We pray for the whole church that it may shine forth the holiness of the martyrs, the holiness of the virgins, the holiness of the saints. For this we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for our Holy Father, O bishops and priests, that God may grant them the grace of being faithful to the gospel and proclaiming the fullness of the gospel truth in season and out of season. For this we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for an end to a culture of purity, an impurity, an, uh, an end to a culture of pornography and the coming of a civilization of life and dignity respecting the dignity of the human person from conception to natural death. For this we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for the sick, the suffering, the poor. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for an increase of vocations to those who live consecrated chastity to religious life. For this we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. And we pray for all of our beloved dead, that they may enter the Father's eternal glory. We pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we ask you to hear us, for I make these and all our petitions in the holy name of Jesus Christ and through the powerful intercession of our Mother Mary as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. There's a whiteness in God's mercy, like the whiteness of the sea. There's a kindness in His justice, which is more than liberty. There is plentiful redemption, in the blood that has been shed there is joy for all the members in the sorrows of the head for the love of god is broader than the measures of man's mind and the heart of the eternal is most wonderfully kind. If our love were but more simple, we should take him at his 
His word, and our lives would be all sunshine in the sweetness of our Lord. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and the good of all his holy church. May the offerings we bring in celebration of St. Maria Goretti win your gracious acceptance, O Lord, we pray, just as the struggle of her suffering and passion were pleasing to you through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere, to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord. For in the marvelous confession of your saints, you make your church fruitful with strength ever new, and offer us sure signs of your love and that your saving mysteries may be fulfilled, their great example lends us courage, their fervent prayers sustain us in all we do. And so, Lord, with all the angels and saints, we too give you thanks, as in exaltation we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Abaot, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. The time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and giving thanks broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. A mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world, 
and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis our Pope, Michael our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection, and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the blessed apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be coerced to eternal life, and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Grow him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Proceptis salutare bus moniti, et divin institutioni formati, audemus dicere, Pater noster, qui es in cetis, sanctifice tuum nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cebo et in terra, Panem nostrum quotidianum, tan nobis odie, et imitem nobis semita nostra, sicut et nos imitimus, debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, and by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant your peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. On you stay, quitolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. On you stay, quitolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. On you stay, quit fullis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, Lord I, am I am not worthy, worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Communion Antiphon, the Lamb who is at the center of the throne will lead them to the springs of the waters of life. For those who cannot receive sacramental Holy Communion at this time, we pray the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, 
I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. God, who bestowed on St. Maria Goretti a crown among the saints for her twofold triumph of virginity and martyrdom, grant, we pray, through the power of the sacrament, that bravely overcoming every evil, we may attain the glory of heaven through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in the peace of Christ. Thanks be to God. Immaculate Mary, your praises we sing. You reign now in splendor with Jesus our King. Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. 
Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Celebrating the culture of life, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Dina Paduska from St. Elizabeth.